Read it. Okay, read it. Read it prayerfully and read it uh, with some questions in mind. If you found Ephesians chapter 4, let me invite you to stand as we are the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to go through verse 16. And we're going to focus on verses 11 and following. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for its conviction. As we prayed just a moment ago, we thank you that it does not return void, but that it does what you have sought it out to do. And so this morning, we would pray that through your word, both the reading of it, as we did just a few moments ago from Psalms, the reading of it right now, that we would be conformed more and more to the image of Christ equipped for the work you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Let me start this morning with a question. Let me start this morning with a question. How do you know you are in the right church? She told me to come. She told you to come. That may be one. <laughs> I was brought here by my wife, by my parent, by somebody else. There's a lot of ways that we may answer this question. We feel welcome here. My family has gone here for years or even generations. It's in my community. I like the preacher. I may be a little self-serving, but maybe somebody does. I don't know. I like the music. There's dozens of ways that we can answer that question. Maybe you could even answer that question. We attend worship here because we read and teach and preach the Word of God and the doctrines that we believe are accurate and true. But let me ask you a deeper question. Not so much, how do you know you're in the right church, but what is a right church? What is a church 
that God would call us to? How do we know if the church we are attending or the church we are members of is functioning in the right way? The right way according to the Bible. Not culture, not context. But how do we know we are in a biblically faithful church? And that question really only has one answer. The answer is implied in the question. The church is operating according to the Bible. It is operating according to what thus says the Word of God. There are dozens of places in the Scriptures that teach us the biblical foundations for the church. What we are to build on so that we are biblically functioning faithfully in accordance with the will of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 11 is one such place where the Apostle Paul directs the church to operate in an orderly fashion without confusion and without division. First and Second Timothy as well as Titus are letters that Paul wrote to pastors of churches to help them lead their church in a biblical manner. Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 16, chapter 18 and chapter 24 speak of the church as well as Jesus' words in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. But today we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. And specifically we're looking at verses 11 through 16. Let me read those verses again just to remind us of what they say. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be carried or may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to say up front that this passage does not speak to every single aspect of what a biblically grounded church should look like. As a matter of fact, it only speaks to one of those aspects. One aspect of what a biblically healthy church is. There's more. But for this passage, Paul is clear that biblically healthy churches are led by biblically healthy elders, pastors, teachers, shepherds, preachers. And it gives us four perspectives on that leadership that I want us to examine today. Churches are led by Jesus through qualified elders. Secondly, the role of elders is to equip the body for a unified ministry. Third is the goal is for the body of Christ to look like Christ. And finally, Paul tells us the enemy will ensure that this will not be an easy task. So let's dig in. 
Let's look first at those who lead the church and how Jesus leads the church through biblically qualified elders. Verse 11 says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. You'll notice here a progression. It's actually an historical progression of God revealing himself to his people. Apostles and prophets in the strictest understanding of those offices are the ones who received the direct revelation from God to proclaim it, to write it, to teach it, to preach it to the people of God. The prophets and the apostles are who we read in the Old and the New Testament. That means, again, in the strictest sense, there are no apostles and prophets in today's church. There is no one receiving new revelation or new interpretations of the Bible. We'll look at that a little bit more in a few minutes. Yes, ministry today is to be prophetic and apostolic, but only insofar as we proclaim and contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints by the prophets and the apostles. This is exactly what Jude says in Jude verse number three. Beloved, I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. God has given His Word, and it is only through His Word today that we hear from Him definitively. The work began during the ministry of the apostles and prophets. But it continues, Jesus says, it continues, the Apostle Paul says here, through the ministry of evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Pastors are shepherds of God's flock. Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So we understand that from this passage, pastors are not, listen please, pastors are not the supreme authority in the church. Jesus is Lord, always, period. However, pastors are called to minister the word and prayer. Acts chapter 6 verse 4, following the examples of the apostles to shepherd the flock of Christ. Peter says as much in 1 Peter chapter 5, I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. Pastors, insofar as they are guardians of sound doctrine, pastors do exercise authority in the church. Titus chapter 1 verse 9, Paul says, The elder 
must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and even to rebuke those who contradict it. He keeps on saying in Titus chapter 2, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So pastors are called to lead. Hebrews chapter 13, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life. Imitate their faith. Pastors are called even to rebuke. 1 Timothy chapter 5, as far as those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all that the rest may stand in fear. Pastors are called to invest and build generational growth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And pastors, pastors are called to serve in plurality. That means that more than one person is to shepherd and pastor each local church. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you, more than one. I know that sometimes it's hard for pastors to preach on the role of pastors in a local church. It's even harder to call his church to follow him and submit to his biblical authority. It can appear self-serving and it can appear selfish. And sometimes it is. It's easy for us to fall into the trap of manipulating a congregation to follow us blindly and without accountability. We see this disaster that it causes in churches large and small, some very publicly. When a pastor goes unchecked and is permitted to abuse his authority and his influence. However, that danger acknowledged, the Lord Jesus Christ has still given to the church a leadership structure to guide his church. And that leadership is through shepherds and teachers. Today, most of the time, we call them pastors or elders. So what is the role of these pastors? What is the role of these elders? It is to equip the body for a unified ministry. I've already mentioned some of the roles in leadership and other things. But Paul mentions specifically in this passage one vital role. It's in verse 12 and 13. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does it mean to equip the saints for work of ministry? Let me begin by saying, every member, every single born-again, baptized member who has coveted to join this church is a minister to every other member 
to their family and to their community. One of the paragraphs in our church covenant that's included in that membership package, I've encouraged you to take and to read. But one of the paragraphs there read, we will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we commit to, to, we commit to and sustain its biblical worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will work together. The role, according to this passage, the role of the pastor is nothing less than to be an equipper of you, you saints, for your role in ministry. Pastors, though sometimes we think otherwise, pastors are not called to perform all acts of ministry in a local church. But they are called to equip the church to do what they are called to do. How do we do this? I finished a book this week called The Work of the Pastor by a man named William Steele. Here's a quote from that book that speaks to this question. How do we equip? He says, ministers of the word in the 1990s or 1890s, the 1590s or the 2090s must do the very same thing. Although it will have a unique contemporary slant and application suited, to, suited particularly to its own day as to no other. He says they will preach the whole word with continual application to those, however few they may be, who hear its message and its timely import. He goes on to say they will do this undeviatingly, undistractedly, and undeterrently. Preach the word. Paul tells Timothy, who is the pastor of the Ephesian church, after he wrote this letter, Paul tells Timothy to equip the saints primarily through the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You'll note that there are four profitable equipping attributes to the inspired scriptures. One is that they are profitable for teaching. Beloved, I love you and I love myself, but we are all ignorant of the fullness of God's glory and grace. We are ignorant of all of his love and his attributes and his work and so very, very much more. And if we stay ignorant, we die. The, the prophets write in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 13, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Hosea says it's even worse. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But Solomon tells us in Proverbs, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes understanding and knowledge. 
The scriptures are profitable for equipping because they are profitable as the word from God's mouth for teaching. They're profitable for equipping because they're profitable for teaching. Secondly, you'll note that they're profitable for equipping because they're profitable for reproof. Beloved, sometimes we get things wrong and we need to correct our beliefs. We need to correct our doctrine. There's a beautiful story in Acts chapter 18. A Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he, was, he greatly helped those by showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Apollos was not a false teacher. He was trained in the way of the Lord. He taught accurately, just not completely. So he was reproved. He was corrected in his understanding. And the Bible says it aided his ministry. He greatly helped those through grace. He showed by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Too often we think of reproof as something negative. It's not. But it's for the growth of the one being equipped. And it's for the growth and the health of the church. And the advancement of the gospel. The scriptures are profitable for reproof. But Paul also says here in this passage they're profitable for correction. Where, where reproof is correcting belief or doctrine, correction is for our actions. It's speaking to how we live. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 12, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. If you are without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God disciplines us for our good that we may be able to share His holiness. For the moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained in it. It's profitable for teaching. To help us understand God. It's profitable for reproof. To help us get our beliefs right. It's profitable for correction. So that we live the right kind of life. And finally it is profitable for training in righteousness. Paul writes to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. None of this is easy. Indeed, it's hard. And sometimes it's unpleasant. But remember, we are going from being 
dead in sin to alive in Christ and now ministers of the gospel of the word of God. One reminder to be equipped for every good work will take time. Again, I'm going to return to this in a few minutes, but let me encourage us here. Be patient with your pastor and be patient with yourselves. Study the Word. Be engaged in worship. Be engaged in the preaching and the teaching and the serving in this church. Paul tells Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed but rightly handling the word of truth. And so it is to that end that we strive. God has raised up pastors and teachers to shepherd and equip His people for the work of ministry. And the way He does that is through His word. So to what end? What is the goal for the body of Christ? It is for the body of Christ to look like Christ. It is for us all together to image Christ. Read with me verse number 13 and then skip down to verses 15 and 16. Building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, and it builds itself up in love. There's two quick truths here that I want to emphasize. First, is each of us individually is to grow up in Christ. God's goal, God's purpose is that you, individually, that you would be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. He says exactly this in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Paul says as much even in this letter, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the exact image of God. Fully man, fully divine. And our goal as Christians is to be conformed through the Holy Spirit and the process of sanctifying discipleship. It is to be conformed to the image of Christ. You and I are to look like Jesus. But here, there is a greater teaching. And this is the second thing I want us to see this morning. And it is that the church, all of us together, are to be so unified in the knowledge of Christ. And knowledge here does mean knowledge. It means what we know. But it also means our love for Him, our faith in Him, our commitment to His grace and His gospel. We are to be so unified in that knowledge that this church, this very local body together is the image of Jesus. 
We are His body. Each of us is an important part of His body. If He has called you here, it is the responsibility of the elders to grow, again, not apart from the Holy Spirit, but it is to grow this church to look collectively to look like Jesus. And to do that towards maturity, not infancy. Pastor Steele, again, from his book I quoted earlier, writes, The sad decline in the quality of Christian life and witness in our country is largely due to the fact that the evangelical church has for several generations been a huge nursery, not only for infant babies, but much worse, for grown-up babies. Pastor Steele wrote this in 1984 about his home country of Scotland. But I fear the same is true of our nation in 2022. Paul says to grow up to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. No, friends, we don't know enough. We have not arrived. No, we don't have all the answers, and no, we can't be fully unified in Christ until we both realize this and strive for this. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Mature, maturity is pressing on. It's realizing we've not arrived, but it's pressing forward. That is when the body is joined and held together as we are equipped individually, yes, but more importantly, as we are equipped together as one body in Christ. That is when each part, your part and my part, work properly and work together. And then, listen, beloved, then and only then will the body grow and build itself up in love. This is when we speak the reproofing and correcting truth in love. This is when we are taught and equipped to grow up into Him who is our head. This, church friends, this is the biblical model for the body of Christ. Led by elders and teachers who are focused solely. That means primarily focused on equipping the saints for a unified ministry in Christ. Friends, don't look for a pastor. Look for an equipper. And on a personal note, from my heart as your pastor, and by the way, happy anniversary. It was a week ago this year you all have called me to be your pastor. <clears throat> but from my heart, if I fail at doing everything I can to teach and equip and train you in righteousness 
with patience and correction and even with rebuke, then I fail to love you like the good shepherd and I fail to do the one thing that God has called me to do above everything else. I've been accused of taking this too seriously. I have folks tell me I need to lighten up and have a little more fun, and I don't know, maybe that's true. But I am far more concerned about the souls of the men and women God has called me to shepherd than I am about making jokes in the pulpit and getting a laugh at somebody else's expense. This is eternal life. This is eternal life we're concerned with here. We have an enemy who is already attacking us. And the last thing we need is pastors to placate silliness and triviality. Paul tells us in chapter 6 of this book that we are at war. We don't win this war by comedy routines. We win this war by being unified in our leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every part working properly and together. Because then comes growth. Then comes love. Then comes victory. So what about this enemy? We have an enemy who will ensure that this task is not easy. Look at verse 14 of this passage. Paul says, no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I want to highlight two areas where this work of equipping and this work of unity are attacked. The first one is false teaching. Every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness of deceitful schemes. One is false teaching. Peter warns us in 2 Peter chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will fall. Many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The prophets speak of them. Jeremiah 8, For behold, I am sending among you serpents and adders, they cannot be charmed. They will bite you, declares the Lord. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Today we have false teachers claiming new revelation from God, claiming that they are new apostles, new prophets, in the same fashion of those from the Old and the New Testament. Today we have false teachers teaching a false gospel of prosperity and wealth. We have false prophets claiming to hear 
from demons and spirits and angels. Jeremiah condemns them because he says that these lying prophets pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. And all of us are susceptible to fall under the sway of a false teacher. That's why Paul describes them as cunning, as crafty, and as deceitful. Remember Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast. The equipping ministry of the elder must protect the church. And it must equip the church to recognize these wolves and these serpents whose cunning deceit shows up. Danger one is false teaching. Danger two is discouragement through impatience. Speak the truth in love, Paul says, and grow up in every way in him. As I said a few moments ago, this takes time. This takes time. We have to remember, I have to remember, that slow growth is still growth. And most of the time, slow growth is the healthiest growth. But Paul says in verse 13, don't be children. Children are marked by impatience and impulsiveness. Children don't think before they leap. How many times have you been asked, are we there yet? It takes time for the whole body to come together and for every joint to fit together and work properly as we are equipped to do. Only patient equipping will make the body grow and build itself up in love. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I responded like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Discouragement and impatience are often the catalyst for conflict. We will have false prophets and false apostles, and we will face immature and childish discouragements. This is why Jesus gave the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Jesus loves His church. He loves His body. And He leads it through the Word of God as given to the apostles and prophets and proclaimed and preached and taught by pastors and shepherds and teachers today. I have a grave and vital role in this church. It is to equip and prepare you for mature ministry in the midst of wolves and serpents. And I take this very, very seriously. You have a grave and vital role in this church. It is to be equipped for mature ministry in the midst of wolves and serpents. And I pray, 
I pray you are taking it very, very seriously. It starts with Jesus. It starts with His death. It starts with His resurrection. This is the foundation of the church. And our repentance and belief are the pillars on which the Holy Spirit builds our faith. We are in the infancy of launching a new church with a new membership covenant, with a new emphasis on understanding what we believe and why we believe it. Beloved, this is not optional. We can no longer be tossed to and fro from every wind of cunningness, craftiness, and false doctrines. We can no longer be impatient and discouraged children. Friends, I say this with nothing but love and nothing respect but respect for every single one of us. But it is high time we grow up. If you will let me, I will do everything I possibly can in the Lord to continue to grow myself so that I can continue to equip you. But we have to show up. And we have to show up ready. Again, I'm not accusing anyone, and I pray this is a word of encouragement and not condemnation. But let's roll up our sleeves and let's get to work. In Christ, in His Word, in ministry, and in maturity. I'm going to close this morning by praying and reading from Psalm 1. My prayer is that true vine Baptist church when we officially become that and even now as we're working towards that. My prayer is that true vine is a tree planted by the waters standing strong against the wickedness and yielding its fruit in due season. Psalm 1. Hear the word of the Lord and pray with me through it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, the, on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will Father, this morning we thank you for your church. We thank you that when Christ ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to build his body, to build his body in this place and to build local representations of his body throughout the world. We thank you that you have called us to be part of one of those local representations. You've called us to be part of your body, the body of Christ. 
We thank you that you have given us roles that we are to be equipped in to do the work you've called us to do. To some you have called to be pastors and teachers, to take the words of the apostles and prophets and to the very best of our ability to proclaim those truths to your people. Your inspired word that is profitable to equip us for every good work. Father, I pray as we engage this passage and even from this, as we engage next week in our membership orientation, as we continue to study this book we began this morning in our, in our 522 hour about discovering the church, understanding the purpose and the role and the meaning and the, the vision of the church, that you would grow us into your body, that you would equip us to full maturity, and that every single part of this body equipped would work together to see love and growth take place. Father, none of that begins if we have not a relationship with you. And so I begin by praying for that one who may be lost. I pray for that one who may believe that they are part of the body, but they have never made a, a confession of repentance and faith. I pray today for the one who knows they're not a believer but understands that you are calling them to your, your family to be part of your body. So I would pray today for that lost man or woman, that lost teenager, that lost boy or girl to know you and to repent and today come by faith to know you through your son Jesus Christ. And I pray for this body. I pray together as we open up your word that we are confronted by it, that we are convicted by it, and that we are conformed by it to the image of your Son. That each of us individually would reflect the glory and the grace of Jesus, but that we corporately would be so unified, so unified in the truth, so unified, growing, and pursuing maturity that this church would reflect the image of Christ. That we would be His body under His head going, doing, praying, loving, ministering, serving those that He calls us to. We thank You for the work You are doing here. We thank you for the way you have grown us, even over the last year. We thank you for the beauty of your glory as it's seen through song and through word. We thank you for the men and women that you are raising up to be part of this local body. And we would just pray that we could be faithful and would be faithful to serve you in love. Be equipped for the work that you've called us to to see your grace expand throughout this world. We trust you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of quick announcements.